everyone, it is Tuesday, December 17th, 2019, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isledyke, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, it's going to be a bit of a look back retrospective awards thing where we're going to talk about some of the best cars, crossovers, SUVs, luxury things, yada, yada, yada for 2019. Now, of course, I haven't driven all these cars. I've only read articles, watched videos, and well, some of the things I've experienced in person, but uh, nevertheless, there's a lot of stuff that happened this year. Uh, you start to look at uh, some of the trends that emerged. It's definitely uh, all crossovers from the top all the way down uh, for lots of brands, but it's important to kind of touch on some of these successes. So uh, in each category, we're going to talk about, uh, well, obviously the winner, uh, but touch on a few of the other things that I think were at least interesting in each category uh, for 2019. And then at the very end of the show, we'll kind of touch on some of the vehicles that I think I'm looking forward to most in 2020. Uh, some of them I think are pretty straightforward. Other ones, it's kind of more a curiosity. We might not even see them in 2020, uh, but uh, you never know what's going to happen. So uh, after the bump, we'll talk a little bit more about the first category, which is new cars for 2019. Well, to kick things off with the 2019 Salvage Title of the Year uh, podcast, I guess, uh, we'll start with new cars. Uh, sedans, little hatchbacks, uh, they're all kind of falling off this year, and there were some pretty important new vehicles that were released. Now, there's going to be some that we're not going to really talk about here, things like the new uh, Hyundai Sonata, uh, the updates to the Toyota Camry, all those kinds of things. Uh, those are going to be included next year because, well, it's just a little too late in the year to really kind of get a feel for them. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, these are the nominees uh, for this year. They include the Nissan Altima, the Volkswagen Jetta, the Toyota Corolla, the Kia Soul, the Mazda 3, the Hyundai Elantra GT N-Line, Honda Insight, and well, it looks like that's it. Uh, at least in terms of cars for this year that I think are definitely worth touching on, uh, the first of which is the Hyundai Elantra GT N-Line. Uh, this is a car that didn't necessarily come out of nowhere because there was the Elantra GT Sport before it. Uh, more or less, this is kind of meant to be the uh, Volkswagen GTI competitor. Uh, that particular uh, Hyundai really just serves up being a somewhat sporty, very luxurious, compact car that I think is really well put together for the price. I think all told, you're looking at about 25-ish to 27-ish thousand dollars. Uh, it's a good bit cheaper uh, than a comparable GTI. Uh, it's going to be probably a little more reliable than the GTI long term, uh, but the GTI might hold its value a little bit more. So it kind of depends on where you're putting your value as a potential buyer here. But I think the main thing to honor here is that Hyundai and Kia are still really focused in on cars uh, beyond their crossover, uh, things that are doing really well. And this car in particular, I think, is one that just 
deserves more attention. It really kind of got slid under the rug at the beginning of the year, uh, just because nobody knew that Hyundai was going to be announcing this uh, back in Detroit in January. Uh, another major major car release that's definitely worth highlighting is, of course, the all-new Nissan Altima. Uh, the Altima got an updated chassis, uh, all-new powertrain components, uh, brand-new interior, all really meant to be the culmination of where Nissan wants to be heading as we go into the future. Nissan is doubling down, uh, much like Hyundai and Kia, and saying that small cars and sedans are going to be where people are going to want to be at. Uh, I think the figure that they talked about, at least in the release of the new Sentra, is that 80-some-odd percent of current car owners, and that is like car, car, true car owners, plan to replace their car with another car car and uh they're hoping that a lot of people spring for at least well in regard to that announcement the Sentra, but also the ultima uh the problem is with the ultima is that well big sedans seem to be getting converted to crossovers whereas smaller compact cars seem to be staying with car shoppers uh the ultima launched it was really well received by the press uh i think the car is great in terms of style uh the build quality seems quite good uh it includes a lot of really great standard equipment for the price uh but it really was a dud once it hit the streets uh it's really disappointing i think it's a fantastic family sedan if you're shopping for a family sedan um but if you're looking for something sporty look elsewhere but i think if you're looking for something nice that's going to be a great commuter car especially if you've got a long distance commute each day uh something like a nissan altima uh, sv i think is going to be where your money should be spent uh gets good gas mileage it's got the uh, pro pilot assist system built into it uh you can get it optioned with all-wheel drive it's just going to be a safe all-weather commuter, and I think it's really a good way to go. But of course, neither of those are the winner. Uh, the winner for 2019 new car of the year has to go to the Toyota Corolla. Uh, what a complete and total revelation compared to Corollas of the past. Uh, this year we did get the new sedans, which is what we're focusing on here, and the sedan is just I don't know. It's the bee's knees. It's lower. It's a little bit wider. Uh, it's got the look to make it seem sporty. It actually drives a little sporty. Uh, the build quality is excellent. Uh, the space in it is excellent. It is just so good compared to the car that it replaced. Uh, it actually makes me think a little bit less of the Honda Civic. And a part of that is because the Corolla is a good bit newer. Um, but it just is a more comfortable reasonable rational car that makes sense for a wider variety of people uh really the only knock i have against the new corolla is that it's got uh no android auto there there is no android auto being offered in its infotainment system at least for the 2020 model year uh that might change in 2021 if they do a mid-cycle refresh and update it to the new systems that are coming out uh in the updated toyotas but if you're an Apple person, you've got Apple CarPlay. If you're Android, uh, go up the creek and <laughs> figure something else out. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, it is just a substantially good car for the money. Uh, it's going to be reliable. It's going to hold its value. Uh, I would see zero reason if you're shopping for a compact car not to get the Corolla unless you're an Android person. So the 2020 Toyota Corolla is the 2019 salvage title new car of the year. Ah, model years. Well, what a, what a mess. 
Now on to the bigger segment that definitely receives more in sales, receives a lot more attention, and that is of course new crossovers and SUVs. Uh, these cars are going to really vary quite a bit in size and style, but just bear with me. You know we needed some generic categories here. Uh, the nominees are the Kia Telluride, the Ford Escape, the Hyundai Palisade, the Jeep Wrangler, the Chevy Blazer, the Honda Passport, the Ford Explorer, and the Toyota RAV4. Uh, now, the other vehicles that I wanted to touch on just a bit uh, as we before we announce the overall winner, uh, the Ford Escape for 2020 is a fantastic small ish crossover. Uh, this new Escape is meant to be replacing both the Fusion and the Focus in the lineup. Uh, the overall dimensions of the vehicle are a little bit wider, a little bit shorter, meant to appeal more to car folks. Um, it's really a dramatically good-looking thing in person. Uh, we're starting to see a lot more of these roll-off dealer lots and get into people's hands and the car comes in this really beautiful green color that I definitely think is the one to get. Uh, the other cool thing about the Escape is just the variety in powertrains and styles and other things uh, that you can kind of consider. And uh, one of them is the hybrid that's going to be coming. I believe there's a plug-in hybrid and a standard hybrid that's going to be made available. Uh, these things are just great little crossovers. I'm really excited to see how they do long-term. Uh, the previous Escape, as much as it got extremely long in the tooth by the end of its like product cycle, uh, when it first came out, man, what a revolutionary design it was overall. And, you know, I think it's really a model that got overlooked by a lot of people just because of some of the powertrain problems that Ford had been having, at least with the Focus, but with the Escape, it didn't have the same transmission. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just a great little crossover. I'm pretty impressed with it. Um, I'm hoping a lot of other people will be too. Uh, another one I want to touch on, at least for 2020 or 2019, 2020, uh, is the Chevy Blazer. I know I've talked a lot about this stupid thing before. Uh, the Blazer is one of those crossovers that I absolutely detest while at the same time absolutely love. Uh, the Blazer is, as I've said before on the show, completely outrageously overpriced as soon as you put any options on it uh it's packaged in a weird way where like up high there are really nice well done materials and other little bits and then you get kind of below your main sight line and things really start to fall apart in terms of quality and refinement uh it's a vehicle that i find particularly maddening and yet I love this stupid crossover so much. Uh, GM, I think this year, did announce that they are putting a new powertrain in the Blazer, at least making an option. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's the 2-liter turbo engine is now going to slot in between the base uh, four-cylinder and the big V6. So I think the turbo option is definitely the way to go out of those powertrain configurations. Uh, the V6 is way too expensive, especially when you get up into the RS model. That thing's almost $50,000. Uh, I think I may have mentioned Mentioned this on the show before, but like dollar for dollar, uh, for the 50 ish plus thousand dollars of Blazer RSs, you could get a pretty well appointed uh, Acura RDX, which is only slightly smaller in size. And I would just get the damn Acura. Uh, it, the Blazer, again, like I said, maddening how much I hate this crossover, and yet I completely love it. So it's definitely one that I'm going to touch on here. Now, the winner, of course, for this year, and it's one that I've talked about ad nauseum. 
uh, is the, well, it's actually a pair of crossovers. It's the Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade. Uh, these vehicles just completely knocked expectations out of the park. Uh, they are priced correctly. They are sized correctly. They perform correctly. Uh, these crossovers really seem to know where the pulse of the market is at. Uh, Kia currently can't build enough Tellurides here in the United States to satisfy demand. Hyundai seems to be doing okay with the Palisade production, but the Palisades are coming from uh, Korea to the United States. And uh, really between the two, I think it's kind of... I don't even want to say it's necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison. They're just like completely very different apples that are still very much an Apple. So if you're looking for something that's a little bit nicer, a little more well-built, a little more quiet, uh, I think the Palisade is the option to take. It's probably the one I would buy, uh, but if you're looking for something that's got a little more visual presence, both uh, outside and inside, the Telluride I think is the one to get. The hard part with the Telluride, at least for me, is that you have to really option the Telluride up to get the good stuff. And by that, I mean getting the good wheels that match the good color paint uh, with the nice options inside versus the Palisade where you could get the base trim model and get a lot of the nice things that you would expect or the mid trim, at least in most cases, I think is the one to go for. The SEL Palisade uh, versus the SX Telluride. Uh, the SEL Palisade is going to be a good bit cheaper. I think it's just the way to get it appointed. Uh, it's the way I would buy it. I, I don't know about you, but both of them, I think, have to win the new crossover and SUV for 2019. Now, one last category before we dip away for a small break. Uh, sporty things. Best sporty thing for 2019 from the Salvage Title Podcast. Uh, the nominees are the Chevrolet Corvette C8, the Cadillac CT4V and CT5V. Yes, I'm wrapping them together. Uh, the Toyota Supra, the Porsche 911 992, the Ford Shelby GT500 Mustang, and the Dodge Charger Hellcat Widebody. Uh, two of the ones I want to touch on before announcing the winner are, of course, the Cadillac CT4V and CT5V. Uh, people were in a bit of an uproar when these cars were announced earlier this summer, uh, mostly because the CT4V and the CT5V aren't going to be the hot, hot versions of the car. Basically, Cadillac is making it kind of the way Mercedes and BMW have been going where, you know, you've got your M car, you've got your AMG product, uh, and those ones are quick, but they have even faster ones that go far beyond that. Uh, so the CT4V's got the 2.7 liter turbocharged inline four from the Silverado pickup. Uh, it's going to produce like 300-ish horsepower, a little bit more than that. It's going to be a quick little car that handles well, but it's not going to be an outright performer. The CT5V, if I remember correctly, has got a twin-turbo V6. Uh, again, it's going to be quick, but it's not going to have that, you know, supercharged or turbocharged V8 that some of the other Cadillacs are have. Things are kind of TBD there on both vehicles, but I think they look really good. I like the idea of the Turbo 4 and the CT4V in, in particular. Uh, I think these are going to be cars worth watching because... They're really the only sedans left at GM. They're the only performance sedans left at GM. Uh, hopefully they sell well. Hopefully they continue to push boundaries a bit for the brand. Uh, they're based on a chassis that is incredibly capable, incredibly dynamic. So I, I think these are going to be good cars when they finally start hitting the streets here in a short bit. And yes, I know I broke the rules on that a little, but these cars have been known for a while. I've seen prototypes driving around here in Michigan. 
they exist. Uh, just the same, uh, another car I want to touch on is the Dodge Charger Hellcat Whitebody. Uh, what a incredibly good-looking and incredibly stupid car. Uh, I, I I love the Hellcat options across the board for Fiat Chrysler. As much as I, I detest a lot of the vehicles that they make, I shouldn't say detest, I, I really genuinely don't care for Fiat Chrysler vehicles uh, in many situations. Uh, the Challenger Hellcat widebody and the Charger Hellcat widebody uh, just really hit the right buttons for me. This new one, you know, no major changes, 707 horsepower, not all-wheel drive. You get a little more rubber to the road. You get a little more grip. It's meant to increase the handling and overall sporty capabilities of the car, but really it just adds a lot of visual presence. Uh, for the amount of money that you're going to pay, you drive it for two years, you could probably sell it for almost the amount that you paid for it. Uh, these things are just dramatically crazy cool. Uh, there's a green one in my neighborhood. Someone's got a like a metallic-y green one. They blacked out the hood. They have like bronze wheels on it. Ah, it just looks amazing. Like it's just, ugh, it's one of those cars for this year, uh, but it didn't quite win. Uh, so the winner for the 2019 salvage title sporty thing of the year is of course the Toyota Supra. Uh, a lot of people mad about the Supra when it got shown off at the beginning of the year. A lot of people mad uh, when the Supra got its at first initial tests. And as things have kind of passed on, I think a lot of people have recognized that uh, some of that anger may have been a little misplaced. Uh, simply put, I think the Supra is a dramatically good-looking car. I don't care about the fake air vents. I don't care about the weird BMW details of the interior. Uh, the Supra is a looker. Uh, from what I understand, it rips... Uh, really well around a racetrack. It's got a really well-balanced demeanor. It's got a, a character to it that shows that as much as like, you know, you probably could have spent a similar amount of money and gotten a Charger uh, Hellcat widebody, uh, you choosing to buy the Supra meant that you actually thought about it. Uh, you care about what the dynamics of the vehicle are. You care about the engineering of the vehicle overall. Uh, I, I just, I feel like it's a really great car for this year. Um, as much as everything has been outright crazy surrounding it, uh, especially when it comes to sale prices of the initial release vehicles, uh, I think long-term the Supra is going to prove to be uh, a modern classic in a way that maybe the Lexus LC500 is or some of the... Um, the, the previous Dodge Vipers were like the, there's there's going to be some stuff like that and I think it's just a really good little car now the big gigantic neon flashing question mark over the top of the Supra is of course uh, how that BMW powertrain is going to hold up uh, at least based on previous BMWs I kind of have my doubts but because Toyota got in there uh, really tinkered with some of the tuning and components of the engine. Uh, I think these things might prove to be a good bit better than the Z8 that it shares its chassis with. So at least for 2019, the sporty thing of the year will be the Supra. And after the bump, we'll talk about some fancy things, some green things, and some 2020 vehicles uh, that I'm very much looking forward to. Back in a second. Well, and for one of the smaller categories, uh, we'll talk about the fancy things for 2019. Now, the hard part with luxury cars, at least this year, is that so many luxury vehicles that launched were, well, 
so varied in style, size, type, uh, really seems to be a lot of the focus, at least for most luxury brands right now, are uh, mid-size crossovers, large crossovers, SUVs. Uh, very few brands are putting out actual cars anymore, uh, but there are a few cars that I wanted to include uh, in this lineup. So uh, the nominees are the Audi Q8, the Mercedes-Benz A250, the Genesis G90, the entire Lincoln crossover lineup for 2019, and the Cadillac XT6. So two of the vehicles I wanted to touch on at least a good bit here. First are the Genesis G90. Uh, technically, it is a 2020 model year car. They are out as we speak. Uh, the new G90, I think, is a beautiful car. Now, a lot of people don't like the big grill on the big sedan, uh, but I think it looks really good. The material quality is absolutely sublime. Uh, the controls, everything are laid out really well. And yes, you can see some of the carryover bits and bobs from other Kias and Hyundais. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, those things work really well inside of this vehicle. Uh, for the amount of money that you're going to spend, I don't think you're going to find too many other vehicles that really even compare in terms of build quality, refinement, uh, and luxury. I mean, a comparable 5 Series, or I guess technically it would be a 7 Series, an S-Class, is going to be probably double the price of a G90 to get some of this equipment. Uh, I just really feel like it's the one to get in the big luxury car sedan segment and Really, it's kind of weird thinking about the G90, at least in terms of parallels to like vehicles like the uh, Infiniti Q45 and the Lexus LS uh, from the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, this car is trying to push the envelope as far as it can with the Japanese and German competitors. Uh, you know, and when it really kind of comes down to it, dollar for dollar, would I rather spend the money on a G90 versus a Lexus LS. And I think that's maybe the best comparison of two different vehicles right now. Uh, I really genuinely feel that the Genesis is the one to get. As much as I do like the new LS, and I do like the new LS quite a bit, uh, the G90 just seems to have it down, uh, at least in terms of just design. And like, it's not too gaudy, and like Lexuses are a little too gaudy at the moment. But Smith & Sniff made a good... Uh, point on their podcast a week or two ago where, you know, if you've got a lot of money and you're an older dude or lady, whatever, uh, and you're looking to buy a luxury car and you make the choice to get a Lexus, what does that say about you? And that says that you are very comfortable in your skin and you know what you want and you made the choice to get the Lexus. And I think that's really true. But at the same time, to make the choice to get the Genesis instead of the Lexus, I think says that even more, if that makes sense. Like the L badge has a bit of history to it. It's got a connotation to it, but the Genesis brand really doesn't. And I think making that choice at near enough the same price point, I would much rather get the Genesis versus an LS. That's just me. Now, we wind the clock back a little bit to some of the older LS models to buy a comparison. I think I would have maybe said a Lexus instead, but uh, at least in terms of brand new cars, I think the G90 is definitely where it's at in terms of big luxury sedans going into 2020. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on are the, of course, the whole Lincoln crossover and SUV lineup uh, for 2019. Uh, they launched all new versions of, well, everything. Uh, Lincoln is moving all of their vehicle names back to 
words instead of digits and whatever else it is. So the, it would be the, uh, what the Lincoln Corsair, the Lincoln aviator and the Lincoln navigator. All of these vehicles, just fantastic. Uh, they are obviously share a lot of their bits and bobs underneath with, uh, various Fords. They share powertrains, platforms, engines, transmissions, uh, bit, uh, it, it's all basically the same, but the way that Lincoln packages these vehicles, uh, is just stunning. Like they just do such a beautiful thing. I, 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 it's, it's crazy to think about how 10 years ago, if you would have looked at a Lincoln dealer and seen what was on the lot, you would be appalled. Like these cars were really poorly done, bad ripoffs of like the Ford Edge. Uh, the I, they were just not good. I, I think that's really the best way to say. It. I mean, for God's sakes, they were selling a version of the Ford Flex as a Lincoln. Like it's they really lost their way. And so when they broke off to become the Lincoln Motor Company and they spent all this money on advertisements and redesigns, uh, they sat down and they realized that, you know, they're not going to compete with BMW and Mercedes. They're never going to be able to take down Lexus uh, doing what they'd been doing. And so they decided to commit to the idea of American luxury cars, which are going to be about style and comfort, not outright performance. And these new Lincolns just seem to understand that in a way that Cadillac and Chrysler have never really been able to figure out. So the new Corsair, I think is a good place to start. It just, it, it's just done in a way that just makes sense. It, it's quiet. It's comfortable. The material quality is really good. The refinement needs a little bit of work. You can't get away from being based on a Ford Escape, or at least with the uh, with the aviator being based on the, uh, the, uh, Ford Explorer, you know, those, some of those underpinnings are always going to, uh, kind of betray you a bit. And for the money, I think they are good choices. They are going to depreciate a lot more compared to some of the Japanese rivals, but they're going to depreciate a lot less than some of the German ones. And I really honestly feel like spending 50, 60, $70,000 on a Lincoln isn't as crazy as what it was a few short years ago. And I really have to give huge props to Ford and Lincoln for really turning this brand around in the past year. But of course, this is a segment that needs a winner. And the winner for the 2019 fancy car of the year has to go to the Audi Q8. Uh, wow, what a crazy crossover to seemingly come out of nowhere. It really, I, I, I know people don't like it when they say, or when people say the phrase, it has no reason to exist. But really, honestly, does the Q8 have any reason to exist? No. It's a Q7 with the back end chopped off. Uh, it loses the third row element. Uh, it's, if anything, it's a worse Q7. But holy hell, this thing looks amazing inside and out. It, it really has a presence that I feel like an Audi hasn't had since the uh, A7 first came out a few years ago. It is just a dramatically good-looking vehicle uh, that really demands a lot of attention. Uh, and I think at least for the money, uh, maybe not the best option in the segment, but it just, you know, 
it speaks to me in a way that a lot of vehicles haven't in the past year or two. Uh, the Audi Q8, uh, the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on with it is uh, the price aspect of it. Um, I think even like a mid-trim Q8 uh, is still going to run you pretty damn close to $100,000. Uh, full-out luxury trims are going to be well over $100,000. Uh, that is absolutely bonkers. Uh, but with the SQ8 coming and so many other things, uh, I mean, damn, these are cool SUVs. So uh, for the fancy thing of the year, uh, the 2019 fancy thing of the year, we got to give it to the Audi Q8. Now for the last main category of the show, uh, the 2019 green thing of the year. Uh, the nominees are the Porsche Taycan, the Toyota Prius E all-wheel drive, the Tesla Model 3, the Toyota Corolla Hybrid Sedan, the Hyundai Kona EV, the Toyota RAV4 Hybrid, and the Kia Niro EV. Now, uh, you may have noticed that three things all started with the word Toyota, and uh, <laughs> basically those ones all end up being the runner-up here. Uh, the RAV4 Hybrid, the Corolla Hybrid, and the Prius E all-wheel drive really kind of ran away with some simple engineering ideas, some simple applications of technology that really, I think, speak to what we need to be seeing happening for a lot of automotive brands as we close out this decade and we spend the next one really trying to solve uh, the climate crisis. Uh, the Toyota RAV4 Hybrid and the Corolla Hybrid are both vehicles that really ask you to make a choice that seems stupidly simple, uh, specifically with the RAV4 Hybrid. Uh, the RAV4 Hybrid is only a few thousand dollars more than a standard RAV4 in the lineup. Uh, it comes with a good bit more equipment uh, when you tick that option box, but the clever thing is that Primarily, the vehicle drives uh, as a front-wheel drive hybrid, uh, but it has a small electric motor mounted on the rear axle, and so at certain speeds, uh, it can engage that rear motor, and it actually sends a pretty decent amount of power and torque to the back that is mostly just meant to kind of get you unstuck and get you going. Um, the RAV4 Hybrid, at least compared to the regular model, is actually faster. It's actually got a more performance-oriented option uh, than the standard RAV4. So, I mean, unless you're looking to get the Adventure RAV4, uh, I don't really see any reason why you wouldn't get the Hybrid, especially with the overall fuel savings. Uh, these things are touching on the door of 40 miles per gallon. Uh, on the high, or in the city, I think it's like 30-something. On the highway, like the average is like 37 or 38 miles per gallon combined. And the new RAV4 is quite big, and it's just a huge technological leap that just makes this level of sense that, I don't know, it's just shocking how simple it was for Toyota to do this and why more automakers aren't doing it. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see early next year with the Honda CRV hybrid coming in, how that's going to compete to the RAV4. But I think overall, you know, it's a really good choice. Same thing with the Corolla Hybrid. Obviously, the Corolla won the best new car of this year. The Corolla Hybrid, uh, I think, would have won that, but I wanted to break that out into a slightly different category. Uh, the Corolla Hybrid, again, you know, only a few thousand dollars more than the base trim car. 
I think the hybrid's the one to get just because it drives so completely normally. It gets you an absolutely insane amount of gas mileage. Uh, it feels more like a normal car than a Prius. It looks more like a normal car. It just feels like the right one to get for most people. And I think Toyota making that choice so simple uh, is really the key to changing a lot of people's minds on these electric powertrains as we head into the next decade of automobiles. And then last up, just a quick one to touch on is the Prius E all-wheel drive. Uh, this vehicle has been available in Japan for a while. They're finally bringing it to the United States. There's a few weird changes that have to happen with the car. Uh, the batteries in the vehicle change back from lithium ion to uh, the nickel hydrate uh, ones. Uh, the reason for that choice is because basically Toyota's making the assumption that they're going to sell the majority of these uh, all-wheel drive Priuses uh, here in the Midwest and over on the East Coast where it gets quite cold in the wintertime and the nickel hydrate batteries uh, hold their charge a good bit better with the colder temperatures. Um, the other main thing, of course, is that it is all-wheel drive, so it's got a very similar, it's actually the same uh, all-wheel drive system from the RAV4 put underneath the Prius, so it's a little electric motor on the back axle. At low speeds, it really just helps you get going if the uh, conditions are slippery, and then it can do a little bit of an actuated thing uh, at speed to help kind of correct you if it detects some slippage uh, going on. Uh, but really, it's just a smart thing to do. It's a small cost difference between the base Prius and the e all-wheel drive. Uh, at least if you live in a state where you get a pretty decent amount of snow each year, I think it's obvious which one to get. Um, it's a like one or two mile per gallon uh penalty overall for the vehicle uh, compared to the standard Prius. Uh, it just seems like a smart choice to make that, especially when if you're in a place where, you know, you go, well, I need an all-wheel drive vehicle, but I can't get a hybrid because of that. Uh, you know, this car is made for you. Here you go. Uh, it really does make me wish that Toyota would put this uh, system underneath the Corolla. Uh, I have a feeling that they're not going to just because they need to have a reason for this Prius to exist and they want to keep it off the uh, Corolla so that people aren't choosing between it and the RAV4. So uh, yeah, the really the Toyota lineup this year is just fantastic. And uh, if you're looking for a green car uh, that's maybe a little bit more of a normal vehicle, uh, either of those three, I think would be excellent choices. Uh, but the 2019 salvage title green thing of the year definitely is the new Porsche Taycan. Uh, what a an incredible car. We've known that this car has been coming for a while. We've seen different uh, prototypes, powertrain developments, whatever. Uh, these cars won't be hitting the road for a little bit, but it sounds like they may be getting them in Europe very soon. Uh, more or less, you know, this Porsche is meant to be a Tesla Model S fighter. And people on the internet are mad about how the Porsche doesn't have very good range for what it is. Uh, the Porsche is not that much faster than the Tesla. How horrible is this? It doesn't have the regen thing that the Tesla has. Yada, yada, yada. The simple fact of the matter is Porsche went out. They went, we're going to develop this all-new electric platform. We're going to develop this all-new electric technology. We're going to develop this car to be a Porsche of electric vehicles and they really just hit the nail on the head. This thing looks fantastic. It drives incredibly well. It's ridiculously fast. And yes, it might only have a 200 mile range in the Turbo S configuration, but even if you get the standard Taycan Turbo, uh, it's still going to go 230 plus miles, uh, at least with some relative, you know, shortcomings of temperature, yada, yada, yada with the EPA. Um, 
But I just, I, I just feel like these are the cars to kind of keep an eye on. And as much as people, especially Tesla fanboys, get upset about how these vehicles are getting all this amount of praise, uh, keep in mind that just a few short years ago, uh, there was no plan for any of these car companies to be building an electric car anytime soon. And Porsche did maybe not necessarily the impossible, but they made some really smart choices and they've developed a car that I think is definitely worthy of a, an award, an award from us, uh, at this show. Uh, but also for your attention, if you're looking to spend a hundred thousand dollars on an electric car, cause I think that's really what it comes down to is you look at a Tesla model S to get a lot of things that, well, what's a good way to put this more or less a Tesla model S is going to run you 80, 90, a hundred thousand dollars for most things versus a Taycan that's going to run you 90 to 100 to $120,000. So worst case scenario, a Taycan is going to be 10 to $15,000 more than a Tesla. Now Tesla's are good cars. Don't get me wrong. They're great. I love them. I love the Model 3 that my friend let me drive uh, for a little bit one afternoon. Uh, they're just, they're great cars, but they lack a lot of the refinement is the word I'm going to use. It's going to lack a lot of the uh, substantive nature that a Porsche is going to have. And I think you can look on paper and go, yeah, well, my Tesla goes faster. And yeah, my Tesla has the supercharger network. And yeah, you know, I'm supporting this American company. But with the Taycan, you know, you're getting a car that's gonna run. <laughs> and I, I, I don't mean that in a mean-spirited way. Uh, Tesla has fixed a lot of its quality problems. It's fixed a lot of its technology problems. Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is Tesla's still fixing a lot of stuff. And, you know, I think of things like the door handles on the Model S. I think of things like you know, the weather stripping being bad on the Model 3, the panel gaps, the, the lack of really an interior with the Model 3. Uh, it's it's fine in the context of what it is. They are still very innovative cars. I would happily spend the money to get a Tesla in most instances. But a direct comparison between a Model S and a Taycan, I think the Taycan's the one to get. Uh, it, it's just blown me away this year, and I, I'm excited to see what Porsche ends up doing with this car. And I'm excited to see what this car is going to be when the same platform and technology gets kind of worked on by uh, Audi and when Volkswagen may or may not be doing something with it. It's just one of those things that I think is going to spin out into other interesting ideas. So Volkswagen, Porsche, they deserve at least an award this year for the 2019 green thing of the year from the salvage title podcast. So last up, I wanted to touch on some of the things that uh, I'm looking forward to in 2020 and we'll kick things off with a Tesla. Uh, the 20. 20 or 2021. I'm not sure what model year designation it's going to end up getting. Uh, but the Model Y is definitely something I'm interested to see. Uh, it is definitely basically just a Model 3 that's been slightly lifted uh, with a little bit more of an SUV type body. Um, not necessarily a revolutionary thing, but it's going to be something that at least dynamically, I'm curious to know if it drives that much differently than a Model 3. Uh, just the same, I'm interested to see that it, with the change in the back end shape, 
how much more space you actually get behind the rear seats. Uh, the Model 3 has an absolutely incredibly massive trunk, um, but the only thing that really prevents it from being any more useful than what it already is is just the shape of the car. So without that obtrusion on the back of, you know, a trunk shape, uh, what what is that going to mean? And is it really going to be worth the extra, what is it, three, five thousand dollars to get the Model Y over the Model 3. Um, that's going to be interesting to see as well. So I'm very curious to know what these cars are going to turn out to be, because I do like the Model 3 a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and the Model Y, I think, is going to be a cool adaptation of that particular vehicle. Uh, next up, and it's something I kind of touched on a little bit earlier in the show, is the new Camry uh, that's going to be having an all-wheel drive system. Uh, it's not really an unfathomable um, unfathomable uh, thing to kind of touch on, but I'm definitely curious to know that at least with the, uh, compared to like the Ultima with all-wheel drive or the new Sonata that might be getting all-wheel drive next year, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Toyota can do in this segment. Uh, Toyota, the new Camry in particular, I like a lot, um, but it was missing a few things, you know, infotainment wise, uh, powertrain wise. Uh, I hope it is able to step up in a way to continue making a good case for itself uh, and really hopefully change uh, a lot of people's minds on sedans as we head into the next decade. Uh, next up on the list is the all-new Hyundai Tucson and Kia Sportage. It sounds like we're going to be getting updated versions of both crossovers. Uh, the Hyundai in particular, I think, is the main one that I'm interested in just because of how good the uh, Santa Fe was last year, how good the Palisade is this year. Uh, it's really going to take a big step up for this crossover uh, in the lineup, and I think with the uh, venue and the Kona slotting in underneath it, it's kind of going to have to find its own little space between itself, or at least the uh, Kona and the Santa Fe. So I'm just interested to see what kind of powertrains they're putting in this thing. Are we going to see a plug-in hybrid or a full-out electric version? Uh, are they going to stick to the surprisingly robust four-wheel drive system that's in it? Uh, it? It's just more, I think, a curiosity than anything else, because I do like the current Tucson so much. Um, I'm definitely hedging my bets to think it's going to be a pretty interesting vehicle uh, early to mid next year. Uh, now, another thing that we're probably not going to see, at least in terms of purchasable vehicles, but something I'm definitely curious to see more details on, we're probably going to see some prototypes this year, uh, electric pickups from the American auto manufacturers. Uh, Ford is saying that they are going to have an electric pickup truck available in 2021. GM is saying the same thing. Uh, these are supposed to be modified versions of the current uh, F-150 and the current GMC Sierra. Uh, both of these things are going to potentially be on sale in the next two years uh, compared to what Rivian is doing with the R1T, what Tesla thinks they're going to do with the Cybertruck. Uh, I want to see kind of in the same way that the Porsche Taycan compares to the Tesla Model S, uh, what an electric F-150 and electric GMC Sierra would be compared to some of these other brands that are being more purpose-built for electric vehicles. Um, whether it's outright power, towing capability, total range, charging speeds. Uh, there's a lot of questions when it comes to pickup trucks. And I think really the two main things that need to be solved with pickup trucks overall is towing capacity and being able to tow a distance at towing and then being able to charge it quickly enough to satisfy people who own and purchase pickup trucks. Now, you can get into the weeds on 
what it means to own a pickup truck, how that all is going to work. Uh, but in the end, I think since it is the, uh, I don't want to say the fastest growing segment in the United States, but it's definitely the highest selling segment in the United States. Uh, there's a lot riding on these particular vehicles and especially the Ford F-150. Um, but I think it's going to be cool. And I think it's going to be really neat to see what these brands can come up with. And I think it's going to be really interesting to find out how much more they're going to be than a standard, uh, you know, Sierra or F-150 uh, early next year. One of the other things uh, of great interest to me has been a vehicle that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, and that is the new Ford Fusion. And I wrote it down on my notes with gigantic air quotes because we don't really know if it's going to be called a Ford Fusion or not. Uh, But this is meant to be the first car-like, but technically a crossover vehicle uh, to follow up behind the Ford Escape. This is going to be the direct replacement for the Ford Fusion. Uh, More or less, it's going to be a Subaru Outback wagon, um, but it's going to be made by Ford. It's going to have probably front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. It's probably going to have a turbocharged EcoBoost engine. It's probably going to have a 9 or a 10-speed automatic. Uh, Yeah, there's just a lot of things that we can probably uh, guess upon, but I think really what it comes down to is what is it going to look like? How is it going to differentiate itself from the Subaru Outback wagon? Uh, How is it going to position itself against other more expensive wagons that are available out there? Thinking of something like the uh, Volvo uh, XC, what is it? The, I guess it's the S60 V cross where cross country uh, naming conventions are weird now at Volvo, but uh, it's a car that's going to be making kind of carving out its own little thing and it's really only got one main competitor so i'm really curious to know how ford's going to pull this off i think they can do it but i'm curious to see how they're going to do it and then the last one for 2020 and this is a last minute edition because uh, a story well came out yesterday uh about the dodge journey uh the dodge journey is losing its four speed automatic uh and because it is losing its four speed automatic in lower trim levels uh a lot of people are assuming that the 2020 model year will be the last model year for the dodge journey uh the rumor has been that the dodge journey is going to be replaced by an all new dodge crossover that's based on the same platform as the uh alpha Alfa Romeo Stelvio. And uh, that brings up some very interesting questions about what would potentially be at least positioned in the Dodge lineup as a volume seller. Uh, Not to necessarily say that the Italian design chassis isn't a good one. It is a very good one. But if they are putting those Italian designed and built engines and transmissions inside of that crossover, uh, what do? Because they're not exactly the most reliable things in the world. That being said, uh, the Dodge Journey has held a soft spot in my heart for quite some time. I think it's really a good looking crossover in a weird way. Um, I don't know. It's, it's got a visual presence that just seems to have held on and aged somewhat well over the years. Uh, the interior wise, you know, never was good from the start. Even the retrim that I think happened in 2011 or 2012 didn't help things along a ton. Uh, but it's always been something that I think has been interesting to say the least. So I'm really curious to know how FCA is going to follow up the journey. Uh, Is it going to retain the name? Is it going to stay a Dodge vehicle or is it going to become a Chrysler? Uh, It's going to be interesting to see, Uh, but I I think it's, it's definitely one to keep an eye out for. And I'm willing to bet we probably won't know anything about it, at least until the Chicago auto show, maybe New York. Um, But 
safe bet is probably it won't be announced until June at the Detroit Auto Show. So, yeah, we'll kind of wrap things up here after the bump. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isalike, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN. And you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Wow, I was going to say the old location of the episodes before. Uh, it's been a weird year with cars, guys. It's, uh, I don't know, the, the, all the stuff going on with crossovers and SUVs is going to continue to push a lot of changes at each brand. Uh, so if you're out shopping, make sure you know, you're cross-referencing uh, a lot of pricing information online and you're being firm with what you want because the truth of the matter is millions of cars get sold each year and you waiting just a little while longer to get the thing that you want isn't going to be that big of a deal. I myself am going to be doing some car shopping in 2020, hopefully, as soon as my employment situation gets figured out. I think we're really kind of circling the drain basically on the Volvo well, probably a Volvo XC70 or a Toyota Highlander, uh, an early Toyota Highlander uh, with the V6 and all-wheel drive. So we'll keep you posted as the year goes on. If some big news happens this week, I'm sure we'll talk about something else. But if not, guys, I hope you have a safe and wonderful weekend. Go see Star Wars, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. I'm not going to